Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Well, hello and welcome to episode 72 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, you are living it up beachside this week, but you know, you still wanted to come on and talk about some movies, uh, you know, have a good time, talk about some cocktails because we have a good one this week. But how is it going? How is the beach? What have you been up to? What have you been drinking? Have you been watching anything while you're there? What's going on? I have been watching a little bit. Um, so there's a bunch of trashy reality TV that I never get to watch. And so hmm. I, there's this show called The Ultimatum, which is total reality it's it's awful nope. and I love it. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I think people love reality TV because as messed up as as other people, you know, we all feel in times mm. of our life, we can always look at you know, Honey Boo Boo and be like, at least my life is better than that, right? We can always look True. at, you know, some of these reality shows, even like The Bachelor, Bachelorette, where you're like, yeah, you know, I'm good single, it's fine, I I, I I'm okay, you know, yeah. and there so I'm watching this show called The Ultimatum. And uh, it's about, I don't know, five couples and each one of them has given another one an ultimatum and it's mm. total awful. It's just who I, all these people should be single. It's great. Um, so I've watched a little bit of that because I'm really trying to spend a lot more time on the beach and yes. less time in front of a TV. Um, but it's kind of cold. Like it's, it's warming up. But yesterday was a little chilly in the evening. So um, I got to watch what we're talking about uh, this week. We got some, uh, we got a recommendation or a request rather to, uh, that's right. Yeah. We have, we have another request and this one came with, uh, with a gift. So we're going to be uh, talking about that here when we get to the uh, cocktail section, but yeah, that's, that sounds like a good time. You should probably spend, you know, spend the time at the beach on the beach, uh, watch your reality shows. If you want, um, we just started rewatching better call Saul, which is incredible. Uh, they just added a new season onto Netflix. And I think the new, new season is uh, coming out onto TV or, uh, it's uh, already started or it's about to, but, uh, we'd watched it and hadn't, uh, kind of kept up on it. And uh, so we went back to the start. So I've been watching that, catching back up on that. And it's phenomenal. Um, I really like Better Call Saul. So definitely check that out. Um, if you like that, that world of Breaking Bad, um, even if you don't really love that world of Breaking Bad, you should still watch it because Bob Odenkirk is amazing and the show's great. The writing's great. Um, and it's fantastic. So give that a watch and, uh, you know, let us know if there's any other good TV shows we should be catching up on now that we're done with our Oscar season. Cause you know, we're, we're just ready to binge some stuff on, on Netflix and stuff like that. So let us know. But, uh, Michaela, we have, we have a lot to talk about today. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about this week's cocktail. All right. So as we mentioned in the first section, uh, we got a gift this week, Michaela. Well, specifically, you got a gift. Um, so we have a friend of the podcast uh, who made our awesome coasters. Uh, if you've seen those, if you saw our Oscar coasters, uh, made those. And he also made something else that was pretty great. Well, why don't you tell everyone about it, Michaela? He made this most amazing Guinness syrup. Uh, mm -hmm. He came by and was like, hey, I got a great idea for a cocktail. And I said, okay. And he was like, I really... Um, he loves the podcast, which is so sweet. And he has this custom bespoke company whose name I'm going to look up and we're going to plug it. Um, but he does really amazing bespoke woodworking stuff. So he makes like everything from our coasters to charcuterie boards, to, um, 
cornhole games out of wood. He does this really, really amazing stuff, but he also loves cocktails. So he came over uh, one Sunday fun day and was like, Hey, I've got this Guinness syrup I've made and I've got this really cool idea for a cocktail. And I said, all right, let's check it out. And so this is what we're going to call the Irish breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Have me, have me at Guinness, uh, Guinness syrup. That, sound, <laughs> that Guinness. sounded, that sounded delicious. So when you told me that this is what we were doing, I was very excited about it. It sounded um, interesting and good. And, uh, to tell everyone a little bit about the, about the syrup. So Tyler was nice enough to share with us kind of the recipe for how he did this. And basically I uh, just made a simple syrup with Guinness and sugar. So I want to say it was uh, equal parts of the Guinness and sugar. Um, and you just, uh, heat that up, boil it, dissolve the sugar, um, let that come together, cool it down. And you have your syrup ready to go for the Irish breakfast, or you could probably, uh, do a lot of things. You could probably put it on pancakes and that would be delicious too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's real good because it's not super sweet, but it's very Guinnessy. So if you're not going to like Guinness, if you don't like Guinness, you might not like this syrup. But if you like Guinness, this stuff is amazing. So like it's got that creaminess and all of that super, super tasty stuff. So this drink calls for one ounce of espresso, one ounce or two ounces of any of your Irish whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And we uh, had some Jameson, but we decided last minute to use something else. What did we use, Brian? Yeah, we used uh, Tullamore Dew. Um, uh, if yes, you if you've had Jameson or Tullamore Tullamore Dew, they're they're pretty similar um, in taste. I like using Tullamore Dew in cocktails a little bit more. That's uh, what we used in our Irish coffee back in our uh, Elf episode. Uh, but yeah, you could you could really use uh, any Irish whiskey you want. But yeah, we used Tullamore Dew. Yeah, it was tasty. And so what you do is you're going to take a shaker. You're going to put in your Guinness syrup. That's half an ounce of Guinness syrup. You're going to put in your two ounces of Irish whiskey, and you're going to put in your one ounce of espresso. The espresso uh, should be not right out of the espresso machine. It needs to cool off a little bit. And here's Mm. why we are going to add an egg white into this. Okay. Do not put any ice in your shaker at first, go ahead and do a, what we call a dry shake and then add the ice afterwards, shake it up again and pour it into a coupe glass. And what you're going to see is that that egg white emulsified into this really beautiful foam um, that leaves kind of a head of beer <laughs> looking mm-hmm. kind of effect on yep. to your drink. Um, but it's also going to add this really creamy, you know, silky texture. Um, it doesn't taste like egg white, but you definitely want to make sure that you're not um, making it too hot with the espresso. So, mm-hmm. cause you don't want to risk that kind of cooking. Cause that would taste weird. Um, so what I would do, leave your newly made espresso out for just a second or two, um, just to get it. So where it's not super, super hot before putting it in and dry shaking it and, um, go ahead and add your ice, shake it again, and then put it in your cup and drink it. Cause it's real good. That's right. Yeah, it is real good. It's, uh, it's kind of, chocolatey from that Guinness syrup and coffee. Um, it's, it's fairly sweet from the syrup, I think, but yeah, it's delicious. We didn't garnish ours with anything, but you could totally, um, do like, uh, like a spritz of some like orange rind, um, and do just a little bit of a orange peel on there as, uh, 
as a garnish, you could garnish it with a, a couple of espresso beans, probably on top that egg white would, would hold that up. So you can play around with it. I think that the orange actually sounds really good now that I uh, just said that out loud. So maybe we'll have to uh, go back and revisit this one and uh, give that a try with a little bit of orange to it. But yeah, this was, this was really good. Um, like I said, it was chocolatey. It was creamy. Um, it was Guinnessy. I uh, had a little bit of uh, sweetness from that uh, Irish whiskey. Uh, really good. So definitely play around with making some, some syrups. I wouldn't have ever thought to make a Guinness syrup. So I'm glad, uh, glad Tyler whipped that up for us. Yeah. Yeah. Bespoke provisions woodworking is what the name of Tyler's company is. So if you love anything made out of wood, as far as like, uh, barware, any, mm-hmm. um, coasters, any, he can do pretty much anything, which is cool. What I love is he's got this really nifty, like, um, shot bar looking thing where he's got a ring for lime juice and then uh, like an area where you can put your glass with the lime and then rim it with your salt and then have shots of tequila and it's really cool um he's made a lot of different things on his website um and he should he should make a cocktail recipe book maybe because this one's really good yeah, this is really good. So uh, let us know if you uh, whip up some of this uh, syrup and try an Irish breakfast because we want to know about that and how you liked it. But for now, Michaela, if we're going to have an Irish breakfast as our cocktail, uh, we better we better find a movie, uh, you know, one that probably takes place in Boston, is set on St. Patrick's Day and uh, uh, deals with a lot of vengeance, I guess. So why don't we take a quick yeah. break and we will be right back to chat about this week's movie, Boondock Saints. Spoiler warning for the Boondock Saints. If you've not yet seen Boondock Saints and you'd like to know who lives, because there's only a small group of people who does uh, at the end of this film, please press pause because we're going to talk about how everyone dies in this movie and all about the gunfights and all about the violence. We're going to talk about all of that. So if you don't want to hear any of that, uh, press pause. Go fix yourself an Irish breakfast. Come back. Uh, after you've watched the movie and we can uh, continue our chat about it. That's right. And if you've uh, not seen it, you've had plenty of time because this came out in 1999. It was directed and written by Troy Duffy and it stars Willem Dafoe and an up and coming Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus from the walking dead fame. Uh, he wasn't walking dead famous yet. No one knew who uh, Norman Reedus was, but he was putting in a lot of work and uh, this was kind of his, his first, big movie break, I guess you could say, um, yeah. kind of, kind of in a way, because, uh, this, you know, spawned a sequel had Boondock Saints two, And apparently they are in the works of, uh, beginning to film Boondock Saints three. So I will have to, we'll have to see, see what happens here with the, uh, McManus brothers when we, uh, right. when we, when we get that, but yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about Boondock Saints today. So, uh, as I mentioned in the, in the drink section, this takes place in South Boston. It is St. Patrick's day. We have we have our brothers here. We have Connor and Murphy McManus, uh, played by Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus, and uh, they get us they get us started on this one, Michaela. They sure do. Uh, so I think they're supposed to be Irish, um, like truly mm-hmm. Irish. They're not just uh, so they're from Ireland because they both have accents. Um, they must have moved over as children. You're not really sure what the backstory is, but they're in a pub and. Uh, someone uh, well first we should talk about the very opening scene um mm. which is actually one of the things that i really love about this 
movie uh, is how it shows these two brothers. They live in a really gross uh, apartment. Like the, it's, it's totally nasty uh, mm-hmm. in South Boston. They work in a meatpacking plant. They don't make a lot of money. They're very salt of the earth people, right? But they're asked to train up this new person in the meatpacking uh, plant. And they're kind of showing her around and um she's like super tall she's like taller than them she outweighs them like she's she's a very strong looking person and um she kind of scares me but they're not scared of her at all and so they are trying to show her the ropes and they use the term rule of thumb rule of thumb and she freaks out and she's like do you know what that even means your words really matter um you know, back in the olden days, it was okay for you, for men to beat their wives, as long as they used something that was no thicker than their thumb. And that's the rule of thumb. And so Mm -hmm. she found it really offensive and um, they end up getting into this big fight about it. Um, But you can see like, they don't, they, they respect her at the end of it because she, she punches them right back when they kind of mess with her. And it's, it's actually uh, one of my favorite scenes and it's over in the first like 45 seconds of the movie. Um, Yeah. But it shows that they really, um, I don't know, I, I, I think they left this scene in there because it shows that they take to heart what um, people say because they never mention that again, right? They, mm-hmm. And this whole idea of these two brothers um, becoming like vigilantes for justice are really, I think that's kind of where it starts, where we're seeing them kind of take what's given to them and learn from it and move on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they just thought it was funny, but I thought I, I was trying to be kind of esoteric yeah. in the way I thought that this, the opening scene was created. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, so this, this film opens. Yeah. Like you, like you mentioned they're they're at the meatpacking plant. You actually get a lot of cool, like aerial um, it's probably shot from like a helicopter uh, aerial shots of like South Boston um, of the church, which I guess was not even an actual uh, Catholic church because the Catholic church wouldn't let them film there. Uh, but they're in, they're in, they're in mass. Um, you see them kind of sitting there praying. They just, they just walk up, they uh, help themselves to communion and walk out and kind of the, the priest is, you know, uh, doing his thing up there. And it kind of ends with the priest saying, we must all fear evil, but we must also fear indifferent men. Um, and that's, kind of the the tone that we are, are taking into into this is that uh the mcmanus brothers are not going to be indifferent men they are going to take uh law and justice and the uh vengeance of god into their own hands and uh they're going to stand up to what they view as uh corruption and bad people um in their town and uh in this film that is summarized as like the russian mob i guess uh, more or less who are mm-hmm. you know running drugs and guns through there so they're going to uh you know they're going to take out the trash so to speak and you know we get in you know kind of this next scene right after this uh this meatpacking plant you'll see like a crime scene they find there's a, a couple of dead guys in this alley uh the police are there trying to figure it out but uh apparently the south boston police and uh this story are are not very great so you're gonna have to call in you're going to have to call in a ringer from the FBI uh, by the name of Paul Smecker, who's played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, and uh, he waltzes in to, uh, to set these guys straight. That's right. And I think one of the things that makes this film so compelling uh, and why it's still the, this sleeper hit uh, and it's got this cult following is because of Willem Dafoe. His acting in this is amazing. He's a very interesting character. 
<clears throat> he goes into these uh, crime scenes that we see all along the way. And, mm. you know, there's always, there's one guy who thinks that uh, he knows what's happened and he can explain it. And in this case, there are two men in an alleyway. One of them's got like uh, his pants are open um, and he's got like bandages on his butt and then but he's dead he's been crushed to death and they don't really understand why and then there's another guy who's also um dead and he has like a bandage around his head and so they're like what what happened and this guy's like oh well it's obvious man they're like they're bad guys and they were in this alley and some really big guy just sat on this dude until he died and you know that's that's the that's the level of competency that we're dealing with uh from the police department so of course willem defoe's like that is not absolutely not what happened and he paints this picture and the way that the storytelling is done uh and the way the willem defoe's character um agent smecker uh, mm-hmm. the way the way that he kind of pieces all these things together um is really cool and so what actually happened was there was a brawl the night before um where the mcmanus brothers kind of uh defended their pub because their pub was being kind of sh- shaken they were a victim of a shakedown from this russian mob saying mm-hmm. hey, you need to we, we're going to close this bar and you're going to give us all your money and they said no we're not doing that and so there's a big bar fight and you know one of them set fire to one of the mob guys's pants and so he went they went to go pat they went to go get patched up but then they found where these two brothers live and uh we're coming to to really uh, murder him, I guess. And uh, they ended up uh, fighting back uh, in a really unconventional way involving toilet seat. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how they, uh, <laughs> they did that uh, in all honesty. It's really, um, this is not for kids. We should say that. Don't take your kids to see Boondock Saints. Don't let them watch it. There's so much violence and there's so much uh, uh, fruity language that is not, not good, not uh, maybe it was okay to say some of these things in 1999. It's not okay. Uh, it's not okay. That's and right. I didn't realize how bad it was until I'm like halfway through this. But yeah, uh, that's, that's right. Yeah, some of it. Some of it didn't age particularly well. But but yeah, you get you get kind of you know Willem Dafoe's kind of piecing together this this crime scene, and that for me is kind of one of the more interesting parts of this. So basically, the McManus brothers are going on these on these vengeance like like hits of these mobsters and Willem Dafoe's coming in kind of after the fact telling how you know he's piecing this crime scene together and then it's doing almost like a flashback where you're seeing uh what happened um Mm -hmm. you know to to basically create this and probably for me the most compelling part of this is it's just kind of Willem Dafoe is getting pulled more and more into these scenes so the first one he kind of you know he tells you what happens and then you see the scene of what happens but gradually he's getting more and more kind of involved in having the scene play out around him I think that that for me is probably most interesting um I will say in this in this first uh you know kind of (laughs) murder spree that the McManus brothers are on uh there's like some weird techno music that plays during it uh which doesn't play um in the other ones uh it's 1999 it's the same year as the matrix so I guess the techno was the was the theme but that was really really like an Irish (laughs) non-blue pill telling version of the matrix it was that's that's exactly how to describe it it was it was an Irish matrix. Yeah, that's that's right. So 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 he pieces this together. You see the flashback of what they did. Like you said, they like threw a toilet off of like the fifth floor of this building. Uh, you know, it crushes the guy. Then the one guy accidentally shoots the other guy. Um, while he's falling down. Uh, pretty crazy stuff. They end up 
bringing, you know, they're talking in the police station. They're like, oh, you know, the people, the, or the people that, you know, kill these mobsters, they're out of town now for sure. Uh, you know, no way they're coming in, but of course the McManus brothers just waltz right in there. They go in, uh, they're talking to, uh, you know, agent Smecker, uh, about what's going on. They, they go on to tell him that they can speak like five or six different languages. Um, and he's like, why do you work at a meatpacking plant? Um, and that's dropped. We don't ever uh, revisit that again, uh, in the film. Uh, but at this point they're kind of adversaries, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Agent Smecker definitely knows that they did it. Um, and they definitely don't care that he knows that they did it and they're going to keep doing it. Uh, and he is just, he's kind of like this, uh, this dog just chasing them through this, uh, right. vendetta, I guess that they're, they're out yeah. against this uh, Russian mob. So it, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause this starts out as, Hey, this, you know, we were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we got, um, and we got very lucky by, you know, killing these two guys that were going to kill us. And it was total self-defense. So of course, you know, Sergeant Smecker's like, well, you're free to go. I mean, it's, it, it's fine. But then they have this moment where they're like, Hey, we're maybe God is trying to tell us something. Cause these are deeply, deeply religious, uh, gentlemen, uh, the McManus brothers. And they're like, maybe we should, you know, go and uh, rid the world of these. The Russian mobsters, yeah, yeah. that are there. Well, so there's, and there's this whole scene that I totally missed the first couple times I saw this, where they tried to lay out the land of what's happening in Boston. So Boston Mm. has this Italian mob, right? There's, that's really strong, but the Russians are moving in and the Italians don't like it. The Italian uh, mafia says that the Russians are unwelcome. So there is a guy uh, by the name of Rocco, who's part of the Italian mob, I think. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. And he is kind of friends with these guys. And he's like, oh, man, you know, all of these bad guys, they're, you know, they, they're in the mafia and they get off. Like, they get booked for murdering someone, but they never go to jail versus some of these other individuals they go to jail and they pay their price, but these guys never do. And so these two brothers, um, uh, as well as Rocco, kind of band together to come and try to, to be these vigilantes and go fight off these these bad guys, right? And and but they don't they don't deal with like rate. I want to say regular murders. It's all about <laughs> organized crime. <laughs> like, right. They want you know they want to get these folks. Yeah, they they are they're very specific in their in their goals and ambitions, and and then yeah, the the story then kind of at this point, um, Paul Smeckery tells them to go, so they go uh, to this I, I don't know place. Um, it's actually kind of a neat shot. They they pull open. There's a like a big huge Irish flag, and then there's just like I don't know like ten million guns and <laughs> knives and and rope in there, and they're they're gearing up because they've decided that yeah they're now they're going to be vigilantes for justice, and then it just kind of it just kind of devolves into going through these uh, different uh, kind of like assassination you know kind of hits that they're they're doing on the on the mob and then agent Smecker kind of piecing them back together. So you get the one where they're like, they're dropping in through like the ceiling. Uh, they're in this other one where they're in like this uh, strip club thing. Mm-hmm. There's this other one at the house. Um, like I said, kind of the most compelling part to me is uh, Willem Dafoe's character. Uh, he's kind of getting more and more pulled in to yeah. their ideals as this is going. And I think that that is interesting, particularly by the time you get to like the kind of the last one at the house where he's, telling you what happened as all of the action is happening around him. I do think that that is uh, pretty interesting. And I, I think that his uh, kind of 
character development is is kind of interesting in a way. Yeah. Um, it, it's highly problematic in the way that he's uh, portraying uh, a, a homosexual character, I think. But um, I think that, you know, just kind of uh, like his mental like delusion as he's being sucked into what the McManus brothers does is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It. I, I was t- I'm torn because I remember seeing this in the early 2000s. Um, so I didn't see it when it came out in the theater, but I did see it, you know, when I was in college. And I actually was like, wow, this is a, is, is a gay person who's like deeply entrenched in like solving, like in, in the FBI, he's well-respected. They might not mm-hmm. like, you know they, know, they might not like that he's gay, but he plays, he pokes fun at it. And so maybe that's their way of, ma- his way of making people more comfortable with it. But like when he's on the clock, but what I liked, uh, what I did like was that you, you know, it showed that you could be in a quote unquote normal like job that's that that is seen by so many as like the good guys right like Mm -hmm. and still be gay and in the night in the late 90s um there wasn't I don't remember there were a lot of shows where it's like yeah I I have I'm not I'm not a drag queen I'm not um you know some I'm not a sex worker like I I have a normal job and I'm actually really good at it um and so I thought that that was kind of interesting but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of problematic uh, epitaphs being used and thrown around. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I, I forgot. That could basically be the motto for like the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I do see why it still has this cult following specifically for what you just said, right. Where the storytelling of how, you know, agent Smeckers kind of unraveling of these issues and these you know this story of what happens at the end of these crime scenes just looking at the crime Mm -hmm. and itself and you know there's a great scene where i think it's now we're three big crimes in where he's had to pick up and repatch this story together of what happened with these vigilantes and he doesn't yet he, he he's pretty sure he knows who it is He's, he's got pretty definitive evidence that it is these three individuals. And he goes to a church after having a very rough night. Um, and there's this great scene where they, they are also, the, the three vigilantes are also in the church and they hear Agent Smecker talk to a priest. Now, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I won't spoil the whole, the whole thing, that whole scene, but he basically says, I, I really want to help these guys because I have to follow the law because I am an FBI agent. And, you know, they, but they're doing a lot of good by getting rid of all this trash, all these horrible people that are doing horrible things and also are part of a system that is going to get them off. Like they're not, um, they're not targeting people that, you know, are, you know, just kind of your run of the mill criminals. These are big kingpin criminals and he's, they're taking them out and they're so good at it. And so Mm -hmm. he decides at that point to help them. And I just think Willem Dafoe kind of makes this whole thing work. And the writing is really clean in that it shows, I, I think it's very smartly written in the way that they show that these things unfold. And that's what takes up the bulk of the movie. It's not a super long movie. I think it's an hour and 40 minutes, mm-hmm. but the bulk of it is unraveling these stories and getting to understand you know, the, the change that happens through Agent Smecker, which I think is what makes it work. Um, Mm Because if you take away any of that, it's just a bunch of violence and 
you know, a couple of a couple of funny scenes and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and that scene in the church in the in the confession booth is is kind of interesting the the way they do. But yeah, and then eventually kind of this the story just you know, it, it keeps kind of spiraling more and more out of control for Agent Smecker, and then it eventually ends up um, at the courthouse with kind of the big head of the of the mob there, and and they're there to uh, serve justice on on him, and that's that's kind of where it ends. Like the story here really is. There's really not a lot happening. There's there's these two brothers. <laughs> there's there's organized crime in their town. They don't like it, and they're just going to go kill everyone. And that's that's basically the story. Um, it, like you said, no. it, it gets it gets tied together a little bit because of Willem Dafoe's character um, yeah. and kind of and kind of his descent. Um, but I I don't know for for me, I think that I think kind of the foundation of having like vigilante justice in the name of of your God, if you're if you're highly religious, like that story is kind of interesting and compelling. I just, this, I don't think it does a very good job of telling that story. I think it like sets it up, but then it, it yeah. kind of, you know, devolves away from it. Um, it doesn't really kind of, kind of see that through. And right. I, it's, it's hard because Willem Dafoe is, is so great. And then you have, you know, two, two really good actors, but they're, they're so young. So they don't, I don't know that they're able to kind of, kind of carry the story uh, now, which is interesting because now I think Norman Reedus, is in- incredible and i you, you could see shades of it in this but i think that if you know if they are doing a, a third one if if the story's a, a little bit uh better i think that he has you know kind of the weight and the emotional depth to pull off that kind of a story better than he did when he was you know just a, a yeah. an up-and-comer yeah yeah we'll see i mean there there's a part in it where the head of the i guess it's the head head of the italian mob is you know, worried because he sees that all of these other people were getting shot and killed left and right. And all of them are incredibly bloody, like violent scenes, right? It's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's really scaring this guy. So he goes to one of his higher ups and says, I need somebody, I need somebody to come and help like assassinate these three people that are basically hunting down all of my mafiosos and killing them. And they, they say, oh, well, let's, let's, you, you need the Duke. They call him the Duke. And apparently the Duke has been in jail uh, from Ireland or somewhere for 30 years. And mm-hmm. it's this scene, I think, really impressed upon me for the first time, this is watching it um, recently, because basically this guy, they, they treat him like Hannibal Lecter. Like he's got, um, Obviously he's mm-hmm. in chains. He's got like a chain thing that's attached from his, from his feet all the way up to his neck. They like encase him in a steel cage. And then they tell him that he's granted parole. It's hilarious. Uh, if in a very dark comedic way where it's like, oh, this guy is so terrifying. Um, and he's just a complete monster, but we're going to let him go. And then as soon as he gets out, we're going to hire him to go find these three these three vigilantes right now mm. uh they you know what's interesting is when they do meet they realize that they're from the same family um that's back in ireland because they use this prayer and so he basically joins in and so yeah this very last scene where this i don't know if i think he's italian mobster he's in the courthouse and they just show up and mm-hmm. they tell everyone hey we're you know we're your saints and we're going to rid the cities and you know city by city of all of the evil uh, of organized crime and you know they 
get revered as these, you know, saints. They call them the saints of South Boston, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's crazy that you know the change where at the beginning it's just these two kids, these two kids that are like, oh, we've gotten into trouble, we've bitten off more than we can chew, but we made it out alive. Turn it into this family of, you know, vigilantism. And then, of course, the last, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds are all these people being interviewed on what their feelings are about these saints and whether or not mm-hmm. they're good or bad. And it, in that way, it kind of feels like it's got a Batman-esque mm-hmm. sure. feel to it. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. I hadn't seen it in a while. Have, when did you watch this the first time? Yeah. So, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. You had mentioned that this is very much like it has a cult following because uh, this movie came out in 1999 um, on a budget of about $6 million. It made like $30,000 on $6 million, which is, which is not great. Uh, which, you know, how does a movie lose uh, $5,970,000 and uh, get a uh, a sequel and a potential other sequel. Well, it does that because this movie came out in 1999 and that's when DVDs started to become a thing. So this really gained legs uh, in that market. People were watching it at home. People were renting it. People were buying it. Um, and yeah, this gained a huge cult following um, because this is a very stereotypical late nineties kind of, kind of movie. So, I mean, yeah, I probably watched it around then. I wouldn't have seen it in 1999, probably. Um, Maybe, maybe like the year or two after that. But yeah, home video, uh, because no one went and saw this at the theater. Um, and I'm assuming you probably would have seen it about that same time, you know, kind of yeah. at, kind of in our college days, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did not see this in the theater. And it shows because it only made $30,000. That's right. The cast went and saw it at the theater. And that was the only people that went and saw it in the theater. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was it was a, a home video rental and then a, and then a buy, I guess, when uh, you know, Blockbuster was going out of business. So yeah, that's where it really gained its legs. And I haven't, I hadn't watched it in quite a while. Um, I don't know if you've been able to tell through this, this is not my favorite movie. So it's not something that I go back in and revisit it, but it was interesting to go back, you know, kind of, you know, almost 25 years on now at this point and watch it again through, through the lens of, you know, having uh, 25 years more experience uh, on the earth, what you, yeah. what you think about it. And um things like that. So going back in and rewatching it, were there, were there things that you noticed or just kind of your general feelings about it changed at all? Or, uh, you know, is it still kind of play off the same way that you thought that it did back then or? Um, so I, I liked, um, we should talk about, uh, one character, David Della Roca or sorry, David Della Rocco as, Mm -hmm. uh, David, the funny man, Della Rocco. Um, I don't yep. know if he was playing himself or what, but there are a couple of scenes that I had forgotten about where he's trying, he's been asked to tell a joke to this mob boss and he's trying to tell this joke and he's trying to tell it in a clean way. And they keep inserting these racial epithets into his story. And so at the end, he's, he, he, he's, he's, it's, it's supposed to be funny because he's really uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm you're watching it now you're just like man this is this is really uncomfortable like it you you see that they're trying to be play 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 on that where he's actually a pretty good guy like he doesn't Mm. um i mean he's in this crime syndicate so he's seen some horrible stuff and he's done some horrible stuff but he doesn't really uh i don't know like he's not an inherent racist or anything like that and he's trying to tell this story 
um, and have it be funny. And it's like, you know, three people going, you know, or walking down the street and that, you know, everyone else is trying to insert these things into themselves in, into it. And, and it didn't age well, right? Like, and I, I hate that we say it didn't age well, because it's embarrassing that at the time, you know, this wasn't really <laughs> thought of as not right. being appropriate or not being uh, something that you, you say, right. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't know, I, that was kind of interesting and I hadn't seen this in probably since 2009. Cause I did see the second one, um, in the theater. And so I probably watched Boondock Saints one, the first, this one to prepare for that one, just to see what happens, um, mm-hmm. so that I didn't miss anything, but it's been yep. a little while. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically, <laughs> I don't know. That's- I remember really thinking it was smartly done and really liking it, but I mm-hmm. now it there's certain parts of it that kind of I don't know don't yeah. resonate. <laughs> I still think that the best scenes are the scenes where Willem Dafoe, especially the very last one, Willem Dafoe is in the same scene as these you know these boys, these men. Um, mm-hmm. doing doing the crime but the way it's filmed is really right. cool where Willem Dafoe yeah. is explaining what he's seeing and what they're doing and they're doing it right in front of him as if he's not there right and I yeah, love that it, yeah like yeah and I'd, I'd mentioned too that that's probably my favorite part is just kind of watching his like descent into this uh you know this <laughs> this uh killing spree kind of that the the two brothers are going on that that for me is probably the most interesting and I think that 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 could be a good story um to tell i just i just don't think that that this was it like i said it's this wasn't my favorite i haven't watched it in a long time um you can definitely tell now 25 years on um that this was really kind of riding on the coattails and it was trying to do a lot of the same thing so this was just a couple years after like pulp fiction came out um a couple years out of after like heat came out the big lebowski had just come out the year before and you could see that it was trying to be you know kind of this this quippy you know, fast, fast talking, uh, you know, kind of just mm-hmm. like insane kind of dialogue stuff. Uh, for me, it just, it just doesn't always connect, but yeah, it definitely has a cult following. Um, like I said, if they're, they're planning to make a third one, um, I imagine that it's probably going to eventually, uh, start making money here. One of these days, they'll just, uh, they'll keep doing it and until it does it, but that is the Boondock Saints. So let us know at home if you have watched the Boondock Saints, uh, what you think about it, if it's one of your, you know, favorite kind of cult uh, followed movies. Uh, let us know that. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know if you make one of these cocktails, the Irish breakfast, because it's delicious and you should, and it is very lovely looking. So take pictures on uh, tag us. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. Uh, you can find our website with pictures of ours, the written recipe, all that stuff is at www.drinkthemovies.com. And after you have carried out some vigilante justice, we would appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave us a review. McKay, where should they be doing that you all can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher anywhere where anchor podcasts are distributed um we do two drops a week as you all know we have the lobby bar which is super fun and that's on tuesdays and then we have our deeper dives on thursdays if you like what you're hearing hey subscribe leave us a five-star review it really helps us get the drink the movies out there we've had um a lot of uh a lot of action a lot of people come to us and um request different cocktails and different movies and we love that um because uh sometimes we're we we 
don't know what to watch, don't know what to drink. So uh, if That's you right. have an idea, please send it our way. We would love to uh, get you in on a, a drink the movies, uh, you know, guest spot. <laughs> so we could highlight your cocktail or your favorite movie or your least yeah. favorite movie. I mean, any movies, just yeah, bring, just, them all, bring them all yeah. our way. <laughs> yes. Send it all our way. And we will be, uh, we'll be happy to, uh, to talk about it and to drink it and watch it. So, uh, yeah, do all that stuff. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, but now Michaela, I think it's time we, we put boondock saints in the past and we, uh, we make our way on to next week into our next movie and our next cocktail. And we'll talk to everyone next time on drink, drink the movies. the movies. No animals were harmed in the making of this film. I feel like it's important to say that. That's right. Given a very unfortunate incident with a cat. Rest in peace, cat. Rest in peace, kitty. <laughs>